Uh, I'm going to start. Uh, today I have with me Howard Cruz, a comic book artist who has done many great books, including Stuck Rubber Baby, which was made in the 1990s, which really addressed racial tension as well as gay rights. So I'm going to start with the first question. Uh, how are you exposed to comic books? Well, around my uh, home in Alabama, somehow or other, there was... Uh some Little Lulu comics, um, and I uh, quickly took to those, and Little Lulu was my uh, favorite comic book. This was all, you know, in the days when Dell was king and uh, way before the Marvel uh, barrage, and, uh, but anyway, uh, you know, I, I read Little Lulu and Uncle Scrooge and Donald Duck and a lot of the funny comics, and, and I read Superman and Batman which were, you know, uh, you know about the uh, number of superheroes I could keep in my head. So obviously, reading all these comics, when did you decide that you wanted to write and draw comics? Well, of, co I, of course, I grew up, uh, as is true probably with every uh, cartoonist who's listening to this, um, just sort of discovering spontaneously that I enjoyed drawing. And then seeing comics uh, led me to uh, make up my own comics around the house, you know, using crayons and uh, whatever paper I could find. And when I was about eight, my father told me that uh, some people made their living uh, doing drawings. And that sounded real good to me because the, um, all, most of the adults in the small Alabama town I was living in uh, were farmers and I would visit their farms with my uh, school classmates and it was obvious that farming was really hard work and uh, the idea of uh, making a living drawing pictures uh, sounded really great so I sort of set that as my career ambition uh, from from the word go and I um, you know, I, I was I, I read everything I could about being a cartoonist and I uh, as soon as I learned such basics as drawing in India ink instead of pencils and I learned to make my work look a little more professional, even though when I look back at the drawings I was doing at that time, they're, of course, totally amateurish, but India ink made everything look more professional. And uh, by the time I was in my teens, I was you know, putting together proposals for newspaper comic strips and sending them to syndicate editors and getting rejected, and uh, I did that periodically, you know, into my early 20s, and uh, I really didn't think in terms so much of comic books until the arrival of uh, the underground comics movement, because the by the time I got old enough to draw in any way that resembled professionalism, uh, there basically were almost no more humor comics, which is what I would want to draw. And uh, they were all uh, these uh, Marvel uh, and DC superheroes, which had gotten very explosive and uh, action-filled and fist-fight-filled. And um, I, uh, that wasn't uh, my temperament. So I had sort of given up on comic books as a possible ambition. Uh, and also I had become, <clears throat> while I was in college, I became involved in the college theater and uh, kind of thought maybe I would 
try to be a theater person professionally. But then after I got out of college and spent some time in New York, it was obvious that uh, it was much more practical to uh, be a cartoonist because cartoonists don't have to find a whole group of people that want to do the same project that they want to do. Cartoonists can just go out and buy art materials and start drawing. So I returned to cartooning as an ambition, and underground comics gave me a, a way to have some of the freedom and potential depth that you could find in plays, you know, on, on paper. So you were very involved in underground comics, in particular with the company Gay Comics. How did you get involved with them? Well, um, first there were a number of years doing uh, comics that had no gay content uh, for, for uh, kitchen sink comics. I had a character named Barefoots, um, with it spelled with a Z at the end, and um, it was, uh, you know, it, it occupied me through a lot of the 70s, but ultimately I felt I was going to have to move beyond it if I was going to take on more serious topics, because it was, the style of it was just not terribly compatible with being serious. And uh, so I had begun uh, experimenting with new styles, and Dennis Kitchen, uh, who had been publishing me all this time, you know, we became aware just as friend to friend uh, that I was gay. And so he suggested in 1979 that I edit a new series uh, that would be gay comics. And uh, I thought that would be a good way for me to come out professionally because I hadn't, I had done a little bit of, uh, by that time I had done a gay story in one of my Barefoots comics, but it didn't really uh, make it clear that I was gay. And so editing gay comics gave me a chance to finish that little bit of uh, being honest. And it also uh, greatly improved my work because I no longer was trying to preserve ambiguity about my gayness and I could deal directly with gay topics and in the stuff that I did for gay comics. And, and also I could be a a vehicle as editor of gay comics for giving uh, more gay and lesbian um, cartoonists a chance to, uh, you know, to find a place to put their work. So to talk about Barefoots for one second, obviously Barefoots has been met with positivity and negativity in the underground comic world. Right. Why do you feel that is, I guess, people have two different views on it? Well, a lot of the um, a lot of the original underground comics readers who uh, got into it uh, through Zap Comics and uh, uh, all the Zap artists and, and uh, they became very committed to the idea that underground comics were inherently uh, about uh, breaking taboos and being revolutionary at every moment. And uh, uh, I, on the other hand, saw the underground comics movement as an opportunity to have uh, simple freedom to be oneself. And if one wanted to break taboos or, or be um, S. Clay Wilson or something, uh, you could do that. But you could also do comics that were um, less about breaking taboos and more about a kind of uh, gentler satire, which is what I was interested in. Uh, Barefoots was an experiment in having a comic book series that on the surface looked like uh, an innocuous comic strip that you might uh, find on a newspaper comics page. 
Uh, but then the actual content of it, uh, it had, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, so it was kind of subversive under the surface, although it had a non-subversive surface. And uh, I found that a, an interesting thing to play around with. And it gave me an opportunity to explore in a kind of uh, uh, parallel universe to the one we all live in, the impressions and thoughts about the nature of reality that I had gotten from experiments with psychedelic drugs uh, during my early 20s. And uh, so Barefoots was kind of cosmic and mystical and, uh, um, and, and, and satirical, but it was not uh, that much rooted in the kind of everyday world um, that we live in. And as I said earlier, uh, a time came when I felt like if I was going to get more uh, political and uh, deal in a more uh, gritty way with the world as it is, that I was going to have to leave behind the Barefoots universe and draw characters who looked a little bit more like real people. So in the 1980s, you created a comic called Wendell. Mm -hmm. Where was your inspiration from Wendell came from? Well, the, um, the Advocate, uh, the gay news magazine, um, was, uh, became aware of me uh, mainly through a comic strips I did on gay topics for the Village Voice. And I did a, you know, a very uh, aggressive comic strip about uh, anger at the anti-gay movements that were going on at the time. And the strip was called Sometimes I Get So Mad. And the advocate editors liked it and asked to reprint it. And so that put me in touch with the advocate. And at that time, the advocate was a tabloid. It had very large pages. And uh, I would look at those pages and think, boy, that would be so great to have a comic strip that filled up one of those pages. And so I proposed that I do uh, comic strips for them. And uh, ultimately, I uh, came up with the character of Wendell, who was a young gay man kind of exploring the, the gay subculture of that time, which was uh, largely... Uh, cruising and gay bar based uh, the singles culture and so I was being funny through Wendell about the experiences that you might have if you went to gay bars or, or whatever but then uh, I uh, that happened to coincide with the rise of the AIDS epidemic and I realized that it was getting harder to be lighthearted about one night stands and gay bars and stuff like that and, and I also became aware that you know, I could reflect more of my life as I was living it by doing something about <clears throat> gay couples, particularly the process of becoming a gay couple of two guys uh, finding ways to mesh their lives into a household, which was the experience I had been having for several years since I met uh, my lover uh, and now husband, uh, Eddie Cedarbaum. And uh, so that gave me a bunch of new material that really hadn't been covered in uh, gay comic strips before. There had been uh, lots of com gay comic, I say lots, there had been gay comic strips before about the sexual side of being gay, but this, this sort of homebody uh, side of being gay uh, had not been covered. And uh, so I had lots of new territory I could plow with Wendell. And I, I kept doing that uh, with a minor interruption in the middle of the 80s. Uh, 
all the way in between 1983 till 1989. So to jump to the 1990s and how I actually came to know you, mm -hmm. um, Stuck Rubber Baby, uh, DC Comics was heavily involved in that. How did you get connected with DC Comics? Well, DC Comics was the publisher of Stuck Rubber Baby, although their logo wasn't on it uh, because they were did it under a, what at the time was an experimental imprint designed to do creator-owned uh, work that was out of the normal subject matter range of mainstream comics. Originally, the imprint was going to be called Piranha Press, and they had already published, uh, you know, a number of their experimental titles. And then uh, the editor, Mark Nevelo, um, I proposed to him uh, the possibility of me doing a graphic novel, which I would never have thought to do because I never would never have thought that an underground uh, comic book person would have any place at DC Comics. But my friend uh, Martha Thomases, who was a uh, a publicity person, who was the head of publicity at DC Comics at the time, told me about this Piranha imprint and said that might be a place for you. And uh, to my pleasant surprise, Mark Nevelo uh, was familiar enough with my underground comics work to be open to the idea, and we swapped ideas about what kind of graphic novel I might do, and, and you know, arrived at this notion of making use of my experience as a uh, from many years before when I had been a, a young gay uh, man who was uh, trying to be straight and who fell into a relationship with a girl and uh, we wound up uh, conceiving a child. And this was, uh, at the time, a, a somewhat new territory for a gay story. Uh, but it also allowed me to think back about on my uh, growing up time in Birmingham, Alabama, where there was obviously a huge amount of racial turmoil uh, in the early 60s, and actually more than just the early 60s, but that's, that's when the story of Stuck or a Baby mainly takes place. And uh, so it gave me a chance to uh, express some of my feelings about uh, how my life had been changed uh, by watching the civil rights movement up close and how I had been affected by uh, the girl who was the birth, mo birth mother of my daughter, um, with whom I'm still friends. Um, and uh, she, she changed my life by opening up my eyes, making me, helping me become less self-involved and more aware of the world outside myself and things to care about besides my personal desires to be a cartoonist. And so, in, in general, the book reflected, you know, a whole lot of different themes that grew out of that period of my life. And uh, I was also aware that many people, uh, many modern people were not aware of what the gay subculture might be like in the South um, six years before Stonewall. And, uh, you know, so this gave me a chance to portray something that hadn't been portrayed to death in the gay literature of the time. So it was very fertile ground. And I wanted fertile ground if I was going to do something that was uh, 200 pages long. I wanted to make sure that there could be enough richness that it would feel like a real novel and not just a padded comic book story. Also, I mean, the, the artwork in the book is amazing. 
<laughs> where it's very realistic. What techniques did you use to like bring that out? Well, I was kind of forced into trying to be draw more realistically than I had ever drawn before. Um, you know, my style, if you look back at my barefoot years and even the Wendell years, is uh, natively very cartoony. And uh, But the story was just so, uh, it depended on of the feeling of living life in this world that was very uh, dangerous and claustrophobic. And to do that, I had to include a greater sense of the environment that the characters were living in. And I had to, I needed texture and shadows and stuff. And there was just no way around it. I, I had to draw it in a more, a more developed style. Uh, although many people, you know, have remarked in reviews that, well, that's not really realistic. You know, nobody really looks like the, the Stuckerberg Baby characters, but close enough for the reader's imaginations to get involved in the story. And, um, you know, once you start, um, once you start introducing textures and shadows, you know, you're, you've got to have a shading technique. And also I needed to have a shading technique, uh, which turned out to be mainly cross-hatching with some stippling. Um, because although I had had African-American characters in Wendell, in general, the idea there was to, you know, have a few signifiers in the way they looked to indicate they were African-American, but I didn't do anything like darken their skin because it was, it was about people or people. But in Stuck Rubber Baby, it was actually significant whether a character was black or white. And so I had to find a, ways of, a way of indicating that the black characters uh, were had a different skin tone than white characters, uh, but I couldn't just shade the black characters, so I had to develop a shading technique that could be somewhat lighter for white people and darker, you know, more, uh, you know, a lot more lines and cross-hatching for the uh, African-American characters. And uh, between that and the <clears throat> backgrounds, you know, there was just no way around it. I had to devote a lot of time to to that more elaborate style, which, you know, I spent a lot of the four, four years that it took me to draw the book, I would say never again <laughs> will I draw in this style. But it was a learning experience for me. And, and once I got into it, um, I realized there was nothing to do but just see it through and, and really commit myself to that style of drawing and do it as well as I was capable. So I came out with something that, you know, I could take pride in but not something that was an indicator of what I was going to draw like, you know, for the rest of my career. So do you feel that Stuck Rubber Baby has helped the gay rights movement and racial tensions in the United States when it came out? I don't know about racial tensions. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, a number of African-Americans who have read the book uh, felt uh, good about the way they were treated in it um, and the fact that it was done by a white guy you know they, they felt good that they didn't have to wince all the time because it's so easy to make mistakes when you're drawing um, from a perspective that's outside of the group that you're drawing uh, but you know the, in general I've, they, I've found most black people who bothered to talk to me about it to have been appreciative of it I don't know you know whether I mean, I think there's so many other things that have changed the world, uh, the world's view of racial issues, although we obviously have not gotten yet to where we need to be. 
Uh, gay people, um, just as with Wendell, you know, my goal was to get past the gayness as a uh, somehow something that puts people in a special category and just uh, draw, draw them as everyday people with their, you know, flaws and, I mean, Toland is anything but some kind of heroic character. He spends much of the book uh, being, uh, you know, very afraid of himself and of trying to avoid uh, committing himself. And, uh, you know, that was, it was fun for me to draw a character who was as flawed as Toland Polk, um, you know, because Wendell essentially was a nice guy. And uh, whereas Toland really could be a jerk, and that makes for more interesting conflicts in a story. Um, but I think, uh, really, I think the uh, awareness of gay people in general has been increased by their presence in a lot of media, certainly not just my book. I mean, the fact that you have Alison Bechdel's Fun Home, uh, not only as a hit book that was read by straight people and gay people alike, but also now the Broadway musical, which I saw a couple of weeks ago, and it's wonderful. Uh, and it's uh, someone, some reviewer remarked uh, that it seemed to be the first musical, Broadway musical, that uh, in which the uh, character, the leading character, was lesbian, but the issue was not her lesbianism. Um, it was about family issues. And I think the raising the public's awareness that gay people are commonplace everyday people and some are terrific people and some are assholes and um, that has been helpful uh, to the you know the public perception of gay people in general and the uh, lessening of prejudice but I could certainly not take um, you know special credit because that's been happening in art that includes gay people all over the place, everything in comics and books and plays and TV shows. It's just been a revolution that has led to, you know, such normalizing things as uh, gay marriage. So the comic world has obviously changing so rapidly in the last five, six years with like big companies like Image Comics and Marvel increasing minorities in comics. Mm -hmm. how, how do you feel that, how, how that affects the uh, LGBT community? Well, considering that for most of my life, the world of mainstream comics was a world in which homosexuals did not exist at all. Um, any you know presence and particularly any kind of positive treatment of gay characters is an advance. Um, there is a basic limit to how much you can portray about the life that real people, the lives that real people lead when you've got to do it in a genre format like superheroes. Um, it's, I appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, gay characters, there's some gay characters in the superhero world. I think that's an advance, but it doesn't really say as much about uh, real life experience as the stuff that's happening in the indie comics world where there's a terrific amount of LGBT presence these days. And uh, it, it's easy to find books drawn by many different cartoonists, um, many of them 
you know, gay themselves or queer themselves, if to put all of those LGBT components into one word, um, they're, they're there, they're doing cartoons, they're doing cartoons that are very individual, and I think that's where the action is in terms of uh, letting comics readers, uh, particularly gay comics readers, feel like their lives are part of the world. So to wrap this interview up, um, what advice do you have? Do you want to give to people who want to get involved in advocacy, and, as well as the comic book slash cartoon industry? Well, you know, I think of my in, in in my private life, I'm an advocate, and in a sense, there's an advocacy inherent in simply in simply saying, "Hey, gay people are real," or "Black people are real." They're you know they're they're not just stereotypes. Um, However, I've always avoided trying to preach in comics. And, you know, my work has been about portraying life, not portraying lessons about life. And uh, I think that's really the way to go if you want to create uh, art that lives. Because even though the particular issues of the day, you know, will recede over time, human issues, you know, the struggle of what to do if you're different from other people, uh, what to do about power differentials in the world, all of these things, uh, you know, parents and children, all of this part of life, you know, will continue to be part of life and will keep comics relevant uh, for many years ahead. So I would encourage artists not to think in terms of teaching readers a lesson, but just be yourselves. Uh, See what you can learn, what you have learned about the way life works, and do comics, whether they're funny or, or adventurous or suspenseful or whatever, but root them in the world that the readers live in. And I think you'll end up with a powerful project. Well, thank you so much for this interview. It's been a pleasure for me to interview you. Well, I enjoyed it too. Thank you for uh, calling on me. My pleasure. Thank you so much again. And okay, let me know when this posts so I can tell my friends. <laughs> oh, definitely. Okay.